0: On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we are going to be talking about college priors. Do priors matter in college anymore? And we'll be talking about some trend delicious trends that Rufus has found in college football. We're also going to have a big discussion about Kelly Criterion, Seth Byrne, and Twitter, and Nate uh, Silver and Nassim Tlaib arguing all over Twitter, who's right, who's wrong. And then finally, we're going to go into our traditional NFL picks. And we're going to be talking about analytics. And we're going to be agreeing slash disagreeing on Bill Belichick and whether he is a big analytics practitioner. So as always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action app or the Action Network app or whatever it's called. It's the best app for tracking all of your betting content, et cetera, and it's available for free on the iTunes and Google Play Store. So with that, let's start the process.
1: Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for pics, you're in the wrong place. Find a town with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking. We're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system to break down the data analytically driven media coverage. Okay,
0: welcome is to another episode of Bet the Process. Uh It is Season 2, uh, I guess, Episode 16. I'm Jeff Ma. I'm joined by Rufus, as always. And we're going to jump into college stuff first. Um, starting in the bowl games, do you think priors still have value right now? So in other words, you know, we always talk about priors, i.e. what you thought of the team going into the season, um, You know, kind of based on things like the talent level or the you know coach the system, et cetera so do do priors still have value right now
2: yeah i I think they do, and I actually did a little little bit of an in depth look yesterday to kind of to kind of look at this because i do it, it does when i was um when I was on a, a different show earlier this week talking about some of these college football picks, I noticed that basically every single one um of my picks I liked largely due to having a higher prior on that particular team. Um, and so I actually ran a little bit of a um analysis on this and and you know, I, I did find that overall priors still do or should carry significant weight, even for for bowl game predictions, which means that basically um a team's true talent level, um, you know, the recruiting, their as you said, their coaching, all that stuff, um, basically stuff that isn't reflected necessarily in their on-field performance this season still does have an impact. And and actually I found, you know, to, to highlight it, um, to you know to twitter and to i guess you guys on the podcast i i kind of looked and saw like i was curious how teams that actually did work that were higher rated than uh, their opponent um going into the season but actually end up being underdogs in bowl games how they did against the spread and historically those teams were 74 and 51 against the spread so oh, that's great um that kind of shows the sorry
0: No, that's great. I mean, it's it's interesting because it's it's uh, not dissimilar to sort of the notion that we talked about with college basketball, where, you know, even a team like um, Virginia, obviously no one saw them losing to a 16 seed, but their priors were really bad. And there were some some interesting trends that said that, you know, number one seeds that were unranked um, tended to underperform uh, were unranked going into the season tended to underperform uh, in the tournament. And it certainly, obviously they did. So it, it's similar where, um, you know, the, the bulk of the season, um, is still like somewhat of a small sample size.
2: Right. I agree. And I don't, I don't want people to go and blind blindly bet this trend. I'm certainly not doing that, but I think it just kind of highlights the fact that priors are a little bit undervalued at this point, in
0: which, the season. which games fit into this category.
2: Um so well I'll, I'll let you know yeah. when uh when we start uh going over these picks but there's about 10 or 12 this season and so far I think they're 0 and 3 so the trend was it was 74 and 48 I think it's 74 and 51 now unfortunately but
0: what were you know, the three that pretty uh, solid so
2: far um well two of the ones I liked Arizona State um and Middle Tennessee and I believe also um earlier this week what was was it Northern Illinois? Northern yeah, Illinois, was, yeah. was that, yeah, the first one? And I think actually San Diego State may have fit into that too. So it might be 74 and 52 now.
0: It's the problem with trends. They tend to become 50-50 eventually. Like anything that's else true. That's, right. Right. I mean, and so th- for me, like I
2: actually have a fundamental number where I weight the prior a certain amount and weigh the in-season a certain amount. And um, and I see if the market is under or overvaluing a team for that particular game, which is, I think, the benefit of having a model rather than going off of historical trends.
0: So, if we if we look really quickly and go into the college picks, because we want to do a pretty um, broad discussion on some of the things that have been being talked about on Twitter. So, you you had some picks earlier this week that you released, obviously, or, or at the beginning of the bowl season, and those were in Western Michigan plus the twelve and a half. Now it's twelve versus BYU. And Louisiana Tech plus one versus Hawaii. Uh, Obviously, that should come as no surprise to anyone who listens to this podcast. It's our Hawaii fade, which we've been doing all season. But then you added Houston plus four and a half versus Army and Duke plus four and a half versus Temple. And I was just curious, like, why, you know, what new news or information? Because those lines did not move in your favor. So what was the reason that you added those games? They have not moved or they have? well army was five when i looked um so i was surprised so you so these are just line moves i think army was three and a half when
2: i when i blogged the Massey Peabody picks but you also had the fact that army played Davy and they actually you know they won the game um by double digits but they i think double digits they covered i know that but but they actually uh you know went down in the Massey Peabody ratings a little bit um, and so, yeah, I think the true spread should be right about a pick there. So, I mean, Houston, they started seven and one. They're only lost to Texas tech, but since then they've lost three of four, they lost their quarterback D Eric King. Um, and before the quarterback injury, the number said Houston is definitely the right side here. Um, and I think without the quarterback injury, the line would be a little bit tighter. And I think maybe even close to a pick uh, quarterback Clayton tune has struggled. He's a freshman, but he's gotten more games under his belt. And I, I honestly think that having this, layoff um is probably going to help a freshman quarterback who was thrown into action a little more than it would you know maybe a senior so and and we also know that these quarterbacks that um, without a lot of experience tend to improve with experience and he is a three-star prospect so uh, houston's also played a a much tougher schedule than army um i mean it's been a pretty easy schedule number 81 but Army's schedule is number 113 which is kind of how they hit double digit wins this season
0: got it And, and duke also moved i assume then
2: yeah. Yeah, it did. That's um, I think I make the true price there. Massey Peabody price is Temple minus 1.3. And that's an interesting one where Duke has five losses, but they played the number 16 strength of schedule this season, whereas Temple has four losses, but they played against a number 77 strength of schedule. And I think this one's also a bit of an overreaction to, um, to recency. So Temple comes off a 57 to seven win at UConn after having beat South Florida and Houston the previous weeks. But their turnover margin in the, that three-game win streak is plus eight. Duke, on the other hand, after a five-and-one start, they finished two-and-four. Um, and most recently, they lost by 52 points at home to Wake Forest. And so, since their five-and-one start, they have a negative nine turnover margin. So I think it is a bit of an overreaction there. That's sort of classic recency bias. It is. And Duke, Duke was another team that I mean we had higher than Temple going into the season. I think that they've underperformed their true talent relative, you know, whereas Temple's kind of
0: overperformed it. So where do you have my two picks? I have BC plus the two and a half over Boise state and Minnesota plus the five over Georgia tech.
2: Well, if I tell you, will you, uh, are you still going to stick with them unlike last week?
0: Okay. Well, I mean, the whole point is for us to give information to our, to our listeners. It's not to necessarily win or lose this contest, even though I think I'm winning now. I think
2: you might be, it's going to be, it's pretty close. I think we're within a
0: game, but (laughs) we're like limping to the finish Uh,
2: line. NFL. Yeah, we are. So Boston, we both lost our, we went 0 and 2.
0: 0 and 4 in our college picks last week. And it was another losing NFL week. So we're due. We were 0 and 4 with none of the games being particularly close. (laughs) I mean, Arizona state was pretty close actually. Yeah, that's true. true. But none of mine were pretty close and certainly, um, your uh, middle Tennessee state was not particularly close. Hey, they were up three, nothing after the first quarter. Right. Okay. But, yeah. What do you have the lines <laughs> of, of BC and Minnesota? I have BC as a, a
2: half a point underdog. That's what I would make the true price. You, you have a little and value there on BC. A little bit, not enough to make an edge, but um, in Minnesota, I would, um, I have, where are they? Minnesota? Where are they? Okay. Minnesota,
0: I make a four and a half point dog. Right. So they're plus five. Um, You know, one of the reasons that I like Minnesota there is is one, obviously, like, uh, you know, I'm a P.J. Fleck fan, you know, row the boat. Um, I think that's an up and coming uh, program. And I also like the idea that they have more time to prepare for Georgia Tech, because obviously, you know, the the triple option is a pain in the ass to prepare for. And if you have a lot of time to prepare for it, it definitely, I think, dampens the effect of playing a team with a, a different scheme. Anyway, so I have BC plus two. What's that?
2: I mean, Houston dovetails well with that, doesn't it? Against Army, also
0: similar. Similarly, for sure. So maybe that's the theme of our picks, and hopefully, we'll do better than we did last week. So Rufus has four picks. I have two. Um, Now we can move on to sort of Twitter discussions. Um, The first one was this idea of of full Kelly um, betting full Kelly, and I, I think that anyone believes that you should be betting full Kelly, right? I mean who who well, who really believes that?
2: There was this Twitter discussion this past week with Seth Byrne he he said um he basically said that if you have if you trust your model um and, and regressing it properly um then you know he says take a quote taking market into account is a good thing betting full Kelly after doing so is profit maximizing if you truly believe what you say you believe post regression. If you don't believe that then you don't believe in your regressions. So I think the whole point of a regression though is it isn't an exact thing, it's an estimate, right? And so the whole point of full Kelly is it works when probabilities are known. But if probabilities are unknown and are estimates, then betting full Kelly is not
0: gonna be profit maximizing. So this is actually like somewhat similar to the, I, I know this. we're gonna kind of move all over the place, but this isn't, this isn't dissimilar to sort of the Tlaib argument in some ways. You realize that, right? Yeah. Like the idea that, you know, this, these predictions are estimating probabilities versus really estimating an outcome per se is, and also the fact that we're, we're doing these estimates of, of very un, unknown, um, you know, like predicting things that are very hard to predict, right? It's not like we're predicting the, the, a coin flip or a blackjack outcome or a craps roll or something like that. The the uncertainty that goes into these models makes it much more complicated to be confident in the probabilities that you're spitting out.
2: That's true. And if models have simulations involved too, I mean, you're going to be dealing with more non-deterministic errors where like, you know, if I'm simulating some golf tournament, you know, I might have a guy at 806 to one after, you know, 300,000 simulations, but you know there's a pretty big error band there even after 300,000 simulations so i don't know what my true value is getting a 1000 to 1
0: yeah i mean again it's it's and for those of you guys that haven't like followed the the Nate and uh Talib feud so so Nate Silver we obviously know is the founder of 538 um and seem to leave is the author of the Black Swan and and a, a few other books Um, And they've been getting into this feud basically because, you know, Tlaib is saying that, you know, Nate, Nate is kind of using the fact that he is predicting probabilities as cover for being wrong in the ultimate like outcome of, you know, whether Trump was elected or not. Like, so people, you know, Nate gave Trump, I think a 30% chance to win, which was higher than most people, but he didn't give him a fifty-one percent chance to win. So the thought is like Nate is wrong. Now, well, this well, article I that was—I don't, I don't that? think that's what Taleb was took issue with. I think it was with the
2: movement of Nate Silver's odds up to the election. The fact that he would that they moved so much indicated that there was things that they were not accounting for.
0: No, I, I yes, I, I, what I'm what I'm sort of explaining though is is this notion of really what was in that article, I think about the problem with sort of Nate's, at least this is what I perceived it to be. The problem with Nate's um, positioning publicly is taking credit for being right when he predicts something to be 51 versus 49 if the person gets elected, even though that estimate may have been lower than the reality of what happened. Do you know what I'm saying? Right, right, I understand. He takes credit for that when you know because like the, and I, I wrote about this in my book um the house advantage playing the odds to win big in business in case you guys want to buy it it's on amazon but it Merry you Christmas know gift. yeah i'll sign it for you too um i've always been worried that one day i'd walk in a buck a book and i'd find my book there but um still have not found that so if any of you guys there probably isn't even buck a book anymore um, i don't even it's probably not not, not a store anymore um, but, you know, Jeff, the, getting back to what you were saying, though, I, I think that that's the way the media portrays things. The media. Well, that's what, that's, that's, the that's exactly what i was saying. And I wrote in my book and, and I'm I'm guilty of this also. I wrote in my book that Nate had called 49 of the 50 states correct. In I think it was 2000 whatever. Right. Like when he really came correct. to notoriety, that was like the big thing that everyone said. He said 49 out of 50 states and the District of Columbia, correct. Yeah, because he, was- he got
2: he got the 50.1% pretty well. They they all went his way. And he said, and he, but he he was the first to admit that like that was an unlikely event. But I, I don't I don't think that he necessarily shaped that the, the media coverage of
0: it. Um, but he also didn't say like you guys understand that this doesn't actually mean that I was more right than anyone else. This is kind of like in some respects, this is kind of like the the argument that you and I got into about you predicting the 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 actual. Well, there's a lot to this, right? The, the, similar to the argument that you and I got into about you predicting what the committee is going to do, right? Like, yeah, you got it right, but does that necessarily mean, you know, you got it right once, but does that necessarily mean that that mean anything?
2: Right. And, and I said
0: how unlikely
2: it was for me to get it right. And I said, I think it's kind of, I, I want to celebrate. It's like winning a big parlay or something. I want to celebrate the fact that something improbable that reflects well on me happened.
0: Yeah, I guess. I, I just, I'm not, I'm still, that one is still not something that I'm, will pat you on the back about. Okay. I, just, I just don't think it's that interesting or that. I don't think it's as hard as you think it is to get it right once. We can like, agree to disagree here. Right. But then if you go back to this Nate thing, I think that, you know, and, and I don't it would be hard for him to do it, but I do think that when that he first started getting all that coverage of being right, you know, forty nine out of fifty, he he could have said, like, listen, you guys know I wasn't necessarily right in forty nine out of fifty of these cases, because you know, what I was doing was predicting probabilities and I wasn't necessarily predicting an outcome better than you know what I'm saying? Like it's almost like if he went into yeah. one of these places and his probabilities were fifty-one forty-nine and polling and other things said it was actually like sixty-three thirty-seven. Was Nate really right in that case? Yeah, know I know what you're saying. And that's and just using the fifty percent threshold is is but that's the whole that whole concept that that writer was talking about with boundary conditions, right? Right.
2: That was one thing, but but then what I liked at the end was his discussion of
0: aleatory versus epistemic uncertainty. It's like yeah, you know, and I never heard those express those I before, but obviously it makes sense. And I, I looked them up and read about them, and it, it makes a ton of sense. So explain yeah. to, explain to listeners what what those are. Now I have to Google it again. Um, no, I mean, aleatory is basically like the, the, you know, the uncertainty of like a coin flip or something like that. Whereas epistemic was, was like something that's much harder to model that has, you know, potentially non-stationarity or, or other things that make it just harder to model. Right. Exactly. And so, um,
2: it's, a, you know, for example, five, you know, he, the art the author, I should know his name because give him credit. Um, he said uh, he asked you know he said for example why didn't 538's model incorporate before it happened a chance that Comey would reopen his investigation into Clinton's emails um so because after that happened you know the the probability spiked but i you know i think Nate's model incorporates you know uncertainty but it's not based on a particular thing possibly happening it's based on the fact that all these things could happen um, and historically, you know, there has been this sort of uncertainty, which is largely driven by events, but you don't know what those events are going to be. And then once you do know, once an event does happen, you do adjust.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's that type of thing is reflected in the data that he uses in his models, right? I mean, essentially, right, because he uses polling data and things like that in his models. So certainly if Comey opens the investigation, some of the polling data will change at that point
2: exactly but but
0: uh, Taleb's argument is basically that um well Taleb is first of all like a curmudgeony yeah he seems like if he seems like an asshole right like, yes and, and his yeah. his life is about being kind of this contrarian and when your life's about being contrarian you end up like all the guys in Seaville. no offense guys but that's <laughs> so maybe Taleb could be like the king of Seville yeah maybe I, I would I'd be curious to think what the Seville people think of Taleb. Is he they like a role model or is he a curmudgeony asshole? I think they don't like Nate Silver and they like Taleb more. Interesting. Well, you know, the problem with Nate is that uh, the, the, I do think like he has become like somewhat of a character of himself, right? He's become this like icon of of you know like data science or analytics, and whenever that happens. You know it's it's hard to keep like again like he's had to write he has to produce content and all this kind of stuff and it, it, it's yeah. it's t- it's challenging to be true to like the actual science when that happens like we we see it all the time like you and i fall prey to it all the time like we'll be talking about a game and we'll pull in some narrative that probably has nothing to do with the actual model that's true. We had our narrative. You had the narrative about um, per- more time
2: to prepare for an option offense. And I don't think either of us have tested that. Have Have you?
0: No, it's, no. I've, not, I've not tested it. it. It anecdotally makes sense. It does anecdotally make sense, which is probably which is why it's dangerous. And there's like sample size of like, you know, one or two where, where I've seen it happen. Right. Exactly. Confirmation. There bias. was a game earlier this year where I think Duke played Georgia. Yeah, it was Duke played Georgia Tech. And I like Duke in that game. Because they had, you know, an extra week to prepare for that, and and they historically had had done quite well against that offense. Like they know how to play it. So, there, this this narrative around Georgia Tech's gimmick offense is something I'm going to carry with me to my grave. So, okay, um, can we move back really quickly to the full Kelly though? Sure. And and, and
2: so the, I'm curious. Do you think? using full Kelly is a good way to evaluate a model. So Seth Byrne tracks pro football focus. He tracks Ed Fang. He's tracked Nate Silver. He's tracked, you know, for world cup and for uh, elections. Um, and he does all this using full Kelly and, and that's, you know, so I, I do think that um, I'm interested in your opinion on this, but I kind of think it in a way it's a little irresponsible because it sort of says that um, it, well, obviously we don't agree that full Kelly is a, 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 the best money management system because when you're dealing with uncertain systems. Um, and also, uh, I, I also do think that the value in a model isn't necessarily, um, just, it doesn't have to be a hundred percent. Right. And we've never, I've never said that Massey Peabody model is a hundred percent. Right. I've always talked a lot about regressing to the market and I have on this podcast as well too, with my numbers. I mean, it's, it's a model. It doesn't account for everything. Um, but and
0: so, you know, any I mean, to, t- to, to his to, to Seth's point, right, like, I get why he's, he's doing that, right? Because as like a clinical practitioner, you know, which he is, you know, he's a, from what I hear is a very successful better. Yeah, you know, he's evaluating um, these, these models in the way that, you know, you would in most scientifically, I would say, and I don't, I mean, I think it's fine. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone really believe I, mean, I, again, like from a practical standpoint, I don't think people bet Kelly, full Kelly to these bets. And like, you know, we had a time where we were betting Kelly to, to our bets. Um, and we just, we stopped doing it because the variance was too high. Um, right. and so it just, you know, whatever, maybe that's the wrong thing to do. Maybe that was the wrong thing to do from a sort of growing our wealth standpoint from a bankroll standpoint but we're trying to maximize utility too yeah just flat betting seems to make you know more sense and it was just easier to it's also easier to execute right because if you're like the operational around getting bets in and down and that kind of thing if you're you're trying to do kelly betting it's it's even harder to execute from an operational standpoint
2: that's true i think our bets as well are in a fairly narrow window
0: just if it's a play we're we're getting down a certain amount and we're up against limits too, which uh, well, that's true. the other problem too, right? You have limits. And so like, let's say that you did try to do full Kelly there, there would probably be bets you, you couldn't do it for. Right. So, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of reasons, like the question that you had, which is a valid one is, is it, is it fair for Seth Byrne to, to, you know, to continue to clown <laughs> the Ed Fangs and the Aaron Schatzes of the world? And you, I guess, now too. Yeah, FBI. Well, I, he posted two picks that I bowl game picks.
2: What's that? He posted, you know, he he posted, Oh, this is what Full Kelly would be. Well, he didn't add that context and it confused Cade, but 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 two of our bowl game picks and basically was like, Oh, you would I would have, you know, twenty percent of my bankroll on this um based on the unregressed to the market number. And he said, basically regressions are the job of the poster. I cannot presume your Bayesian preferences. And and I replied that, like, I'm not going to go and update every time the market moves and say, oh, this is what the true line is now with the market. And I've kind of I feel like I've been pretty open about the fact that um, that, you know, my the market moves and my my number will stay. That's, you know, my, my I post my raw number and something that wasn't a pick on Thursday might become a pick on Sunday and vice versa. So um, but the other thing with full Kelly, though, and Jeff, I'm sure you've encountered something like this, too, is. If you ever, you know, when you have a game that looks that's way off market, unusually so relative to your model, are you going to just blindly stake more on it? Or are you going to check and see if your model's missing something in that particular game?
0: Yeah, probably like uh, it's in Europe or something, not in Seattle. Exactly. <laughs> and
2: so the thing is, is a better you don't have to. It's not like um, I mean, Taleb has made his money off of black swan events and asymmetric payoffs. But is it better? You don't really have to deal with that. I mean, I think that. So I can be, I can be wrong on the outliers and still be a successful better. But if I was betting full Kelly and I was wrong on these outliers,
0: I'm going to go broke. Yeah. I mean, I think then Seth's argument might be, and, and we should try to get him on in the office sure. and we can have this discussion um, if he'll actually do it. But I think his argument would then be, would then be, um, well, then don't post like, don't post the way you're posting. Don't post you know, my don't, pic. don't, what's that? Don't post my picture. Don't say that this
2: is the chance of...
0: Don't, don't, don't. I would say like, don't post in a way that like infers that you believe that these are the probabilities and then you understand the probabilities and you understand your edge. You can't have it both ways, right? It's, it, you know, it kind of goes back again to the Nate Silver to leave argument, which is you can't hide behind the uncertainty of your model on one side, but then post the certainty of that, of that on the other side.
2: Right. That's so why you're saying say like, hey, this,
0: this is the value, you know, it's almost like you want to say, like, this is a play down to this number, and that's
2: it. Right. I think I do a good job of when I post something on Twitter saying, "Massy Peabody simulations, you know, say this, you know, these are the play. I, I don't, you know, I think you need to be
0: a little, a little bit more, model. I think you need to be a little bit more thick skinned when it comes to like Seth Byrne and the Seville people. Uh-huh. Like, you know, you, no one thinks you're a tout. No one thinks you're selling anything and you're just providing information to people. And a few people are going to give you shit about it. And Seth right. is going to give you shit about it. But I, I don't, I mean, it's, it makes for interesting argument. I mean, I think a lot of the people he'd be, he's, you know, clowning on this stuff. Don't even know what Paul Kelly is. So they can't even respond to him. Okay. Well, thanks dad.
2: So but wait, one more thing before we move into the NFL. Well, actually before we move into the betting legalization stuff is that um is you know there's a big difference between the Seth Burns' evaluation of the pro football focus picks and how they track it themselves. So they post picks and they do regress to the market which if they don't update leads to some comical um numbers and and picks but but they track it based on uh based on pi- what they release on Tuesday and where the market is then and Seth blogs based on you know, he 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 does full Kelly based on like closing numbers or on Sunday or something. So um do you think that do you think are they both right in this case?
0: Is like one of them wrong? Pro football focus? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think pro football focus is right. <laughs> I've like read a bunch of stuff in the bunch of fights that he's had with Seth in this particular notion, and I'm I'm not sure. Um, but I, I would side with Seth in most of the arguments that he got into with Pro Football Focus.
2: I mean, I agree with you on that. Um, so,
0: do you want to talk about the sports betting legalization?
2: Um, Yeah, yeah. So DC voted, the DC City Council yesterday voted to legalize sports betting by a 10 to 2 vote, but it seems to be very problematic at this point because it is going to be a legalized monopoly. The DC lottery is going to run it, and um, I think the, what's the one company? It's like Intralot, I believe. Um,
0: is it Internet?
2: Something like that. Um, and the one company that, so so DC Lottery will have the only online gaming license. And um, what you're going to have is this legalized monopoly where, um, where, there isn't competition and i think it's going to result in in higher vigs and you know the stated goal the the bundle of goods the dc government was sold was that they would hold 20 to 30 percent, which is outrageous to me if they're you know i think if you're only taking if you're only doing parlay cards or something sure but if you're taking individual bets then you know they were sold like you know then they're pretty gullible and i could yeah beachfront i mean
0: i don't know it's it's interesting right because i think i mentioned to you this i was meeting with a very large uh casino um in the northeast and um we we were talking about like legalization of sports betting in the state that they're in and they were basically like we're not that bullish on this we just don't think there's a lot of money there we're much more interested in in whether there's gonna be like online casino gaming allowed and well, I, what's that?
2: That makes sense. I mean, there's more money in the casino gaming side.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then I just, it's it's interesting because I just feel like this, everyone that's jumping into sports betting is going to like look up and be like, wait, where's all the money we're supposed to have? It's not, no, it's not I mean, there. Sports books in Nevada, really mo- most casinos only have
2: sports books because it you know, it's something they're forced to have to compete with other books. It, it's to get people in the door. It's, you know, they would much rather use that space for slot machines, but it's, you know, it's, it's a lost leader in a way.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that was the old sort of thinking, um, obviously with online and whatnot in Nevada, it's probably, it's probably that, you know, better than it used to be when you could only really go and physically bet um but uh, yeah i i again like i i wrote an article about this for espn.com a while ago and what i what i wrote about and what i my thesis still is that there's me five to ten years of everyone screwing this up before it becomes like a real industry that is generating revenue
2: yeah i mean i guess the question is how bad is the screw up by the gov- dc government right now what's the what's the shelf life of that like are they able to go back and revisit it and you know, how many i i didn't i don't know the specifics of how long the license you know the would be granted for uh, how long you know until could they could they just pass something you know a new law to amend this and allow for more competition i don't know the answer to that
0: yeah i don't know i mean dc is so small like i don't know why it matters well I, I know they wanted to be
2: first before maryland and virginia and they succeeded on that front but um, I, I just, I hope, I just hope it doesn't set a bad precedent because DC is small. I mean, the, the population is only 700,000 for the, for the actual city. But if, you know, they have this and other states, you know, the states the DM, in the DMV area don't, you know, they will be getting some, some action. But I mean, I, I think their projections are, are laughable.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it. People just don't understand how much money is involved in this and lack thereof in terms of what you're actually going to hold and how much you're actually going to make off of it, and then taxing it, etc. Um, yeah. You want to move on to the NFL?
2: Okay. Should we? Should we we'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave the federal sports betting bill for uh, next time.
0: Yeah. Just is there new stuff that you wanted to talk about? There, I know. I know it's being like pushed through, and Hatch and and his boy are like trying to push it through. And I, mean, I tried to. Them. i mean the big it thing is come this, out. Is, like that? i mean the, the the entire bill is
2: released you can read it i it's 100 pages i did not read it but
0: i rely well, on people read it why don't we both read it for the next podcast and and essentially like I, the biggest thing that i've heard is this like quote unquote one billion dollar data opportunity when the leagues are mandating that the data needs to be used by the leagues well that gives and, the leagues a monopoly doesn't it i mean uh, which it's not even a it's not a monopoly, right? It's like it's like extortion or something. Like it that. is. It
2: yeah. says the leagues can basically ch- I mean the leagues could charge an The, the, problem, they the, the real problem that I have with
0: it. the real problem that I have with it is that it, it it is it's anti-competitive in terms of like actually I think the data's so bad right now and the leagues are really bad. You know, that when you talk to people like a company like Sport Radar, the reason they say their data in the US is so bad is because the leagues Um, are so bad and so when you now have the leagues responsible for you know basically producing this data i would venture to say the quality is going to be worse than it would be if you had multiple sources that were competing to create the best data Um, if they're only allowing like one vendor to be in venue producing this data real time it's going to be shit and it's going to take a while for it to be good Um, and so it's it's a really it's a bad move for the leagues, um, but you know they. I, I've said this all along. They're run by lawyers, and they're not. They don't think like businesses. They think we have IP and we want to protect it. And what's the easiest way to do it? It's to create this sort of like artificial, you know, legal artificial thing where people have to have to pay us. I mean, yeah. it's in the short run, it gives them a windfall.
2: Um, but long run, I think they're missing. Yeah, yeah. Short. It's
0: short sighted. It's very short-sighted. It's it's just like but it's like again, in, like it's it's just it's just the way they think. Like I one of the reasons I don't work in sports anymore is dealing with the leagues and dealing with like a behemoth like ESPN. It's 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 hard. They they dominate and it's hard to be an upstart and see an opportunity to really make any money. Yeah. So all right, moving on to the NFL. Um there was a ringer article about advanced analytics where they talk about Warren Sharp. Did you read it? I didn't. I just see uh, where you put this in the to So Yeah, I did. I thought it was interesting. It was talking about how
2: how football is lagged has lagged behind basketball and baseball, but but how we're sort of seeing this analytics revolution right now with the next gen stats, with the player tracking that are available to teams, and how this is going to sort of separate the smart teams even more from the dumb teams like my Washington Redskins. And so it's you know
0: I mean, but like, what who are the smart teams? Like even the, the Patriots. Patriots aren't. At, what's that? the Patriots they're the not that Eagles. smart like the decisions that Belichick makes not to but go for it
2: fourth down are
0: friggin ridiculous is that the,
2: only, that? And, the only way you're judging a coach is but based on that
0: I, I think that's a I very mean, it's, it's, it's so
2: much more. more what about game planning I mean what stop, about using stop, data to stop. like listen for, a
0: a second. for a second. coverages that, that is such a painfully obvious indication of how analytically driven they are and those decisions have a tremendous like can have a tremendous impact on win probability. Yes,
2: but but most of these, most of the things we get all up in arms about um are, are fairly or on the margin. I mean, it's it's when how how many wins do you think a suboptimal fourth down decision making, cost and cost a team on average? Okay, per
0: okay, fine. I I, I, I understand. understand. Etc.
2: Like but Andy, why? But but all so, time management throughout his career is, as a coach. Is, hold on, let me finish, Jeff. But he's consistently had teams that way overperformed. Mike
0: Tomlin's teams. Mike Tomlin. You think that that is. You, how wait, How do you know that that in that Belichick case that that's analytics?
2: Well, it depends on how you're defining analytics
0: now. But but I but read an I'm article talking about it. analytics in the parlance of of this of what this article was written about, and I assume that they're they're talking about it in the way of you know finding data, using the data in ways that. You know are you know, more more forward thinking, et cetera. Yeah. yes, and I'm not saying that I don't think Belichick is an amazing coach. I'm just saying that there is probably a pretty big delta in how optimally he could be running his organization from an analytics standpoint and how he is doing it. Sure, but he's miles ahead. I mean, he was do you remember when you you know you know
2: he's always had a left footed punter because it's harder, you know you, most punt returners are not used to seeing that spin. You know how many teams have copied that now and have lefty punters? It's a copycat league. And and the article did say something about how if the Patriots had been open about the data they were using and the analytics they were using, you know, it would have accelerated things quickly. But there's a reason they don't talk about that. And there's a reason that they um play
0: dumb about certain things. And it makes sense. Yeah, of course it makes sense. But I'm guess so okay, if you the analogy here is is the nba right and i used to talk to uh daryl Morey about this whole the whole concept of the two for one right and the two for one is probably similar in some respects to some of the fourth down decisions the fourth down decisions are probably a bit bigger because the two for ones are not that huge of a difference it's you know the difference in probably like point something point five expected points or something like that so over the course of and so when he was talking to Jeff Van Gundy about this, when Jeff Van Gundy was his coach, he was trying to talk to him about the analytics but you know behind the two for one. And he goes, Well, over the course of the season, how much is this really gonna matter? And Daryl kind of like ran the numbers and, and it just wasn't that big a deal, even the course of the season. Mm-hmm. So I mean that 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 goes back to your point of like, well, these like small decisions that he's making, but it's still like for me, you know, if I'm running an organization. Um, and I want to be analytically driven. I want all of my decisions to be the right analytical decision. like, and so I think it does frustrate me still because the notion that these teams are are getting smarter from by analytics, they're, they're, even the even the smartest ones still have a long way to go is I guess my point.
2: I agree. and and I think that they are focused though on I mean I, I think that they can be very analytically minded, but be doing it in a way that's behind that we don't see that's behind the scenes.
0: So that, okay. I think that's fair. I think that's fair, but that would also, and, and, I, and again, like I'm a Patriots fan. I live and die with Belichick. I believe in what he does. I believe that they're, they have an approach that's better, but I also see some amazing things that, that I just wish that he didn't do like the, the field goal that they kicked, but um, against, against the Steelers, um, in the third quarter when they were like fourth and short inside, like the 10 yard line or 15 yard line or something. You should just never kick in that situation in my mind. So, Fair. Anyways. Um, anything else on this? I don't know. Um
2: they said Warren sharp was quoted and he was described as among the top football minds among the top top minds in football, not working full-time for a team, maybe the top mind. Any reaction to that?
0: I mean, he tweets some pretty interesting stuff on Twitter. I mean, I, I, I again, like, you can be a smart football mind and not be someone that I want to buy picks from, or someone that I want to, you know, like he has interesting insights about like formations and personnel and play calling and things like that. Um, yeah, so I, I think I think he's I think he's pretty bright. I just don't want to pay attention to him when it comes to betting. I, I'm with you on that. I think he's incredibly smart. He works. In, it seems
2: like he works incredibly hard. Um, and he's actually a great Twitter follow. It feels like. Yeah, um, no, he's, he's he's like a, he's like mistake. a mini
0: Haralabov for football. Yeah, so I wouldn't follow him for I wouldn't tail his football picks. That's all.
2: But um, I think
0: I think he would be he would be very valuable to a team. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I mean, I think there's a ton of people that would be valuable for teams, but the the problem is that like teams don't listen. Like they're not. You can do all this work, and at the end of the day, you actually have to have a, co- a coach that's willing to to make the difficult decisions. Yeah, And I guess even my point is that like Belichick isn't even willing to make those decisions. And he has more job security than anyone. I'm, you know, a few years ago, I met
2: someone on a, on a, on a flight whose son was, you know, worked in the analytics office for the Yankees. And we put together these reports for Joe Girardi and Joe Girardi wouldn't even read him. We just toss him in the trash. Like yeah, how frustrating like,
0: was that? That's be? like, people always ask me, why don't you go, why don't you want to go work for a team? And I'm just like, cause it would be the worst job in the yeah. world if people didn't, if I did this work and people didn't listen to me. Yeah. Anyways, um, quickly talking about handicapping motivation. In the last two weeks, it's funny that you mentioned this because our friend Doug Kazarian called me um yesterday to ask me some questions about like how I handicap like week sixteen versus week seventeen. I kind of made a big point that weeks of sixteen is is not so different but week 17 is um but his specific game that he was talking about was like indy versus the giants where the lines all the way up to indy minus nine because the giants have nothing to play for um and Indy has
2: a lot to play for but Indy's had a lot to play for each of the last you know basically every week this season and giants haven't had anything to play for for a number of weeks
0: yeah, but this is like now they really have nothing to play for, kind of thing. Like they they, they really had nothing to play for. Like they I started think, one. I think, and I, think our, I think our our unified take on this is that in week sixteen, we're not over-indexing on the motivation factor because we believe that these teams are all going to pretty much play hard. Um, obviously, there's going to be exceptions, but predicting those exceptions is going to be the hard thing. But definitely in week 17, things are different because coaches even do different rotations of people and play backups and play backup quarterbacks in second halves, et cetera. So week 17 gets a little dicey.
2: Right. When they have when they, when they have an incentive to rest people for the playoffs. But
0: but teams Not that are out- that, you, do, you do see teams that are out of it do kind of strange things also.
2: A little bit. And I, I've done some, I've actually looked at this in the past and, and actually it's why I don't just use my regular Massey Peabody rating overall. I actually do something based on the team's record and whether, and, and where they are relative to contention, which actually adds, I mean, it moves, it moves the needle about a half a point at most for a team, maybe a little more than that. But, um, cause there is, there is some value in that, but it's, it is really difficult though, to find out, I mean, data-wise to to say okay you know what were what were these this team's chances of making the playoffs like you know week 16 in the 2003 season to be able to actually um do any really thorough analysis because i'd have to run a you know a bunch of sims or you know it it seems like a lot of work and as a stats person i'm pretty lazy so i haven't done that but i have done some stuff looking at how far a back team up how far back a team is in their division or out of a playoff spot without incorporating tiebreakers and stuff like that. And I have found that there are some things, but I, I do think that they are less important than most people think. And the other thing is I don't think that a team, because there is a must win game is going to try harder. And I think that's the big narrative we see in week 17, that, that this team has to win. So they're going to be like somehow better than they you know, were
0: otherwise. Yeah. And I think our, our general take would be that that causes value on the other side, much more than it did than it does predict it for that team overperforming what their, what their current rating is. Yep. Okay, uh, let's go to picks. Um, I wanted to ask you, we both have Chicago minus four at San Francisco. Um, this clearly you know, line is off, right? Like Chicago should be like a seven or eight mm. point favorite in this game.
2: Well, it depends on – it depends. I I wouldn't think the the player model doesn't think it's off for me, but I think that the Massey Peabody model is far enough off that, that it is a pick even incorporating the player model. And I think that has to do with, with what you think about Nick Mullins and whether he is, you know, a typical backup um, or if he's actually legitimate, like decent player.
0: Got it. So you think that's where the value is coming in is that there's some perception by people. um, And, you know, there's like, there's like a, disagreement about how good Nick Mullins is and this this model this number which the market is having chicago minus 4 represents Nick Mullins being, you know, a, a more than competent backup. Yes, for sure. And I think it also represents the fact that people think and You Samuel think like the 7 or 8 number part. is much more representative of him being a, you know, rookie undrafted rookie which he is. Right. And obviously we need to blend how how, how well he's played with that
2: prior that he is an undrafted rookie and he has looked good, but you know, lots of players have looked good in six game samples and gone on to have very mediocre um, or bad careers. So.
0: Yeah. Um, it's interesting because this will be like the classic publics all over Chicago. And, you know, the narrative will be that the sharps are all over San Francisco. Um, whereas you are on Chicago. So, and we. That's are you. Um, that we think you are smart, sharp. Yep, I am also. I can resist it. And Jeff, um, you know, I found in recent weeks it does.
2: And this isn't really necessarily good because in recent weeks the bets I've given out have not done very well. But but it does seem like I have been on ones that seem more public. Like you yeah, know, we've been Denver, on Denver. Denver the last two weeks. Um, yeah, betting against Cleveland.
0: Well, Cleveland seems to be a very sharp team. Team like the lines always seem to move to Cleveland and. Anyways, let's let's get through these picks because we got to we got to stop in a few minutes. Um, I'm going to take New Orleans minus six over Pittsburgh, which you also are. Um, it's like yep. five and a half, six. It's six even, something like that. But we'll call it six. And um, then you have New England, huh? Interesting. I do. have New England laying twelve and a half. The news it's, just came to out line thirteen. Out.
2: Um, it's down to twelve and a half after the Josh Gordon news. It's the I mean you can get I think minus thirteen plus money at Pinnacle, but Vegas insider consensus is twelve and a half and Vegas, you know, Josh Gordon is now is out, so he's you know, tested positive for substances again. And uh but but I, I have that as about a tenth of a point adjustment. And yeah, so I, what, what do you think the substances are? Probably not ones that are legal.
0: Um, we both have Jacksonville plus the four at Miami. I think that this is the definition of insanity, which is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. What's your over yeah, under Miami on number so, point Miami's not been good though. I
2: mean, they, they win all their close games, it seems like, but last week, I mean, they were a classic example of like, they, they based on the situations they were in their yards per play was, you know, it should have been about a half a point higher than, than an average team. Just because you know they weren't, they didn't have any like goal line situations or anything like that. You know, if you're in a third and fifteen, you should be expected to get more yards than if you're in a third and one, for example. Um, and and yet their yards per play was absolutely abysmal. They had that one long touchdown, but um, and they had the pick six. But yeah, they've. Um, it's interesting. I've, you know, with Adam Gase as the coach there, a lot of people in Miami are clamoring for his head, but and and his teams have. They they always seem to – it's like the Buck Alter Orioles of a few years ago when they win all the one-run games. Like, how sustainable is that? Probably not sustainable, but, but they seem to have the magic in the close games.
0: All right. I am going to take Cincy plus nine over Cleveland. Um, there's – you know, I think that that line is too high, personally.
2: Yeah. I don't hate that. The problem is I just, you know, Massey Peabody and, and the player model differ huge on Cleveland though. The player model loves Cleveland and Massey Peabody hates Cleveland. So, so it's always anti Cleveland and the Massey Peabody picks every week. But, um, and I'll be, I'll be on that also for Massey Peabody, but not for uh podcast. Cause it's not enough value with, um. Okay. yeah. Okay. I'm trying to rush me. You got your hard stop. Okay. Um, My, so I will go with, is this my last one? I think yeah. so, because we had three in common this week. My last one is going to be the L.A. Chargers minus four against Baltimore at home on Saturday. That's the late game Saturday, I believe.
0: Yeah. You don't really like Baltimore. Um, you know, I, no, you
2: know, I like them a lot earlier in the season. And early in the season, there was a big difference. The player model hated them, and Massey Peabody loved them. And their defense is good. But, you know, I'm not a huge believer in that their offense under Lamar Jackson is sustainable. They have a great defense, but yeah, I I don't think that it's a sustainable offense. They've played a bunch of weak teams under, like, with Lamar Jackson at quarterback.
0: Okay. And then I'm finally going to take Oakland plus the two and a half over Denver. Um, You know, just, again, home dog. Getting points, Oakland sucks, but maybe this is one of – maybe this is their last stand, and they give it a a big effort for Chucky. Uh, Okay. That's it today. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you the next week. the
1: data analytically driven media coverage, sports sport is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down, it seems like they don't get it. Puppetees are but the engines running off a leaded. None of it's organic, it all sounds synthetic. That's why I fuck with Jeff Ma and his dog Rufus. No locks in the year, they just tell you what their truth is. Maybe make your pockets fatter as the bookies get thinner. Give the information turn and the betters into winners. Yeah. Sam Hum, reppin' Rutgers, Jeff Ma, Rufus Peabody, crunchin' all the numbers. Massey Peabody rankings, will, 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 will for the edge, analytically driven, crunching all the numbers.